Well, uh, we are in week two of our series called David, Heart, Flaws, and All. And, and here's, here's why I'm excited about David, is David is a, a character that is well known through, through the Bible. I mean, almost everybody, even if you've never been to church, if this is your first time in church, this is not your first time hearing about David because David killed a giant. It's like, yeah, you know, made, made like a cartoon out of it. So, so we all saw it at some point and we all know something of it. But, but if you really look at the man David and, and you think about this, you think about he's described as a man after God's own heart. So there's this moment of celebration with him. But then there's all this like, this junk that he has or these flaws that he has. Uh, and, and the two, uh, I just see myself in that. There, there are moments in my life where I follow the Lord and, and I made hard decisions that honored him. There are also moments in my life where my flaws shone more. And when I look at David, I see what is, you know, okay, I can, I can see myself there. Uh, something I said last week, and I just, just to repeat, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, uh, will, well, they'll, they'll look at scripture and they say, well, I don't, I don't believe the Bible is true. I, you know, someone came later and they, they wiped washer, they, they polish it up real nice and pretty so that you see it. Well, if they did that, uh, you would think that the king of Israel, David, would send some people back and be like, hey, you know all that adultery stuff? Can you just get rid of that? You know that moment where like I, I let my kids down and like my kids were trying to murder each other? Can you just get rid of that? And they would, wouldn't they, if it was all just whitewashed stories? No. No, what we see really is like really strong evidence that the Bible faithfully records the true stories because with David, you get the heart of David, but you get the flaws of him and you get all of it all mashed up. And there's a ton of humanity in that. Um, it, it, last week, uh, I, I, I went through eight chapters, okay? Eight whole chapters. I promise not to do more than, than one chapter. Well, there's two verses, one chapter and two verses. That's what I'm doing today. Uh, but, but last week was all like introduction. Uh, we, we, well, I want to teach on David, and David, for the first part of his life, really most of what we see in scripture, it's David versus this other man. That other man's name is Saul. And so last week, we just introduced Saul, and, and it's like really the introduction to this sermon. Uh, I originally intended to just make it all the way through here, uh, but, but we didn't get there. And so let, let's back up and let's, let's look at who Saul is because today we're going to meet David for the first time. The first time uh, he's mentioned in scripture, uh, we, we'll get a glimpse of him. But who is Saul? If you'll remember last week, uh, Israel gets together, uh, the judging system doesn't work. They're, they're a culture, a country of judges that when, when the, when the community would do something wrong or become more and more wicked, that God would rise up a judge. And the, the last of those judges essentially is Samuel. And Samuel has risen up and he's to kind of point Israel in the right direction. Samuel did a great job at doing that. Uh, but he gets old. In fact, he gets so old that the people go to him and say, Hey, Sammy, you're old. That's how they began the story. Uh, and your sons don't follow your ways. Sam, Samuel was a great judge, uh, but he didn't raise up his children to follow in that same way. And so whenever he appointed his sons judges, they didn't judge well. They, they just took bribes and were, were really corrupted. And so the people get together and they cry out. They say, we want a king. And, and God through Samuel says, no, you really don't want a king. If you get a king, it's going to take you places you really don't want to go. And the people say, I don't care. I want what they have over there and I want a king. And so they get Saul. Scripture describes Saul as handsome and more handsome than any other man in Israel, which is a really weird thing. I wonder what the author was, was thinking. Like, I gotta say he's really good looking, but no, he's like really, like, you don't understand, really good looking. Uh, ladies, just think of the most handsome guy you can double it and make him taller and you got Saul. Okay. Those are his credentials. He comes from a, a super wealthy family, um, a family that has some power and, and they make him king, but he doesn't king very well. In fact, at first he, he seems to have a good rhythm. 
rhythm. He seems to be leading the people well, but the job of a king is to go fight battles and to lead the people towards good things and to judge, you know, injustices and, and, and to, you know, manage the resources of the country. And what he ended up doing was he got into a fight. He won the fight, got a lot of cheering, and seems to just fall in love with fighting. And so as far as the king goes, he became laser-focused, not on all the pieces of being a king, but just on the fighting. He started ignoring what God was calling him to do. And in, in what Saul wanted to do was to compensate for his poor character with, like, religious things. And I think we do that a lot as people. I said this last week, but I, I find in myself, like, sometimes God just wants Jesse to be obedient. And then I try to make up for it by, like, I'll just pray 10 more minutes and I'll, I'll give more to the poor. And, and Samuel even challenges Saul to his face and says, does God want your sacrifice or your obedience? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, obedience is better than, than sacrifice. But at the end, uh, Saul doesn't learn his lesson. And we ended last week with Saul was given a very clear mission with very clear objectives. He was to go and, and, and as a judge, annihilate an evil people group. But instead of annihilating them, he, he kind of won the battle. He made them submit, and then he took all of their wealth. He took the king captive. And then when Samuel challenged him, he said, well, I did this because God would, I mean, like, God didn't know how rich they were, I guess. I don't know. But we're, we're getting these things so that we can sacrifice them to God. And Samuel pointed to him and said, the Lord rejects you, Saul. The Lord's going to raise up somebody who's better than you, Saul. There's a moment, we didn't get to it last week, there's this moment where Saul is in tears and he's crying and he reaches out as, as Samuel's walking away from him. He, he reaches out and he grabs the cloak of Samuel and it tears and he turns and he looks at him and he says, just like you tore my cloak, God's about to rip this kingdom out of your hands. And then he goes and leaves him. And you're like, talk about a, like a mic drop moment, Right. He's just talking to a king. This king, by the way, uh, and any king, uh, just with like a snap of his finger could have warriors attack whoever he wants. If you go up against the king, he can have you killed, right? And Samuel, with a lot of courage, told him exactly what God expected. So let's pick up uh, in uh, the end of chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Um, and let's start to figure out who this man is that God has is preparing to set on the throne. This man that we know as David. Starting in verse 34, chapter 15, verse 34, he says, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gebeah of Saul. Just real quick, on a, talk about narcissistic leaders. It used to be just Gebeah. Uh, now it's Gebeah of Saul. He's, he's stamping his name on other things. Last week, you remember, he won a battle, and instead of giving God glory, he set up a monument to himself. Uh, that's how he celebrates the victory he had over the people. Uh, now he goes to a city that he's named after himself. So, you know, egomaniac, perhaps. And it says in verse 35, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. The, the wording of that is strange. It's actually the day of Samuel's death. I was thinking he like just doesn't show up until Saul's funeral, but it's the other way around. Saul and Samuel don't see each other until Samuel dies of old age and Saul shows back up at the funeral. They don't see each other again until Samuel's death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So we, we see exactly what God said when he warned Israel, hey, you say that you want these things. Uh, you say you want what the other people have, but you don't know what you're asking for. You're going to regret it. And now you see that it's happening. It's unfolding the way that God says. But, but Samuel grieved over Saul. Saul, Saul is a man who, who Samuel uh, anointed, Samuel gave the name king to, he followed God's orders, but, but he, Samuel was meant to lead Saul into what it meant to lead the people, to show him, like raise him up as a strong leader, to, to, to replace 
himself, uh, but it didn't happen the way that he wanted. Instead, Saul, with narcissism and, and sin and pride and power, he runs as far away from the Lord as he can, and they never reconcile. Samuel just grieves it the rest of his life. Now, those of us in here, uh, we, we can probably name more than a few people in our lives that, that things were good and they should have been better, but this decision was made and this path was taken. And instead of turning off of the path and all of the exit ramps our loved one, our child, or I don't know, some, someone in our family usually could have taken, they just kept running in the wrong direction. And all that's left of you is, is grief. Samuel, Samuel knows of that. One of the things that Samuel said to Saul, uh, and I don't think Saul has learned yet, is Samuel said to Saul that you think you're small in your own eyes, but don't you know you lead all of these people? One of, one of Saul's character flaws was that he always pointed at other people for his mistakes, and, and he didn't want to take ownership of it. He thought that his, his problems, his life, his choices didn't affect a ton of people. Listen to me, uh, young people, Christians, everybody, all, all people in the room, listen. Um, there are people in this world that will either be filled with joy or with grief based on your actions and your decisions. You may, you may want to believe that that argument with that person over there doesn't affect these people over here. You may want to believe that, that this heartbreak here or this letdown here isn't affecting this, but, but it, you're not as small as you think you are either. There's a vast network of people that, that just grieve when someone loses their way. So Samuel, he grieves. It says that the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. I don't have enough time to unpack that, but that phrasing that the Lord regretted only happens one other time in Scripture, and it's when uh, the flood is about to come in Genesis. The, the Lord regrets that he made humanity. It's not, it's not so much that God is like surprised with how bad things got. He, he prophesied what Saul was going to do, exactly what Saul was going to do, and Saul did it. It's not like God was like, oh, what was I thinking? I just regret. It's not that. It's... In both situations, both times that this phrase, the Lord regretted this thing, it's because this man of power or this group of people of power are leading tons of people away from God. And so he's going to do something. Let's turn to chapter 16. Let's meet David now. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, uh, which is a great name for somebody, by the way. Uh, (laughs) To Jesse, the my name's Jesse, for those of you who didn't laugh, uh, the Bethlehemite. Uh, For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I wonder how long Samuel grieved. Yeah, I, I get the sense from this, from this passage that Samuel wasn't mad for one night and was sad for one night and God showed up to him the next morning. I get a sense of a, a season. I get a sense of a length of time. I get a sense of maybe months and years are, are stacking up where there's confusion. Have you ever been in a season of life where you felt like God was calling you to a thing, but then there's like a stall moment and it's just like, what, what are we doing? How, how long, how long am I going to wait in this? holding pattern, God. You're like that airplane waiting for the opening in the airport. You're just circling the same thing. You, you, you feel God calling you to a thing. You feel like God's called your family to this thing, but all the pieces haven't lined up yet. I, w- I wonder how long Samuel grieved. Samuel's known for years now up to this point that God was going to replace Saul. He's already told it to him twice. And now an unknown period of time, and, and the moment comes, he says, all right, fill your horn, it's time. We're going, we're going to do this thing. I said earlier, a king can snap his fingers and do what to somebody? 
kill him. Just, just off him. And so here's what Samuel says in verse two. And, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty, you know, obvious statement. I, you're telling me I'm going to go anoint the replacement for Saul. I, I, we don't live in a kingdom here. We, we're, we vote our presidents in, right? Uh, but kingdoms, they go to the children and to the next child and the next child. They're, they're dynasties. They, they go in family. And so for Samuel to go and anoint another king is potentially treason. It's to say, hey, Saul, your family, you're, you don't get to hold this kingdom anymore. I know I prophesied it before, but now I'm actually going to enact it. It would be really easy for a king to be like, I know how to stop that. I'm going to get you. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. It's, it's interesting to me that God didn't say, hey, Samuel, don't be scared. Hey, Samuel, you don't have enough faith. He had a real concern with obeying the Lord had like a really obvious consequence. And so the Lord kind of gave him a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of, I don't know if shrewdery is a word. Is shrewdery a word? Uh, I'm not sure it is today. Uh, to be shrewd, it's like you don't have to be real obvious what you're doing, Samuel. You don't have to run around and announce a trumpet, I'm going to pick a new king. For years now, Saul has been leading the people into battles and wars. They, they've not had rest since Samuel was leading. Because it says in Scripture that for all the days of Saul, he was at war. He was, he was fighting other people. And so it would be really easy for Samuel to make an announcement and the people to be like, sweet, I am so sick of being at war right now. Now, now this message was, was planned you know, weeks, months ago. Uh, I didn't intend for this message to come on the heels of Ukraine and Russia being at war and the rest of the world being like, oh my gosh, are we losing our peace? But, but I'd be a fool not to address it right now that there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions. Maybe you're asking these questions. Are, are we about to enter into disputes? Are we about to enter into wars? What, what kind of, uh, what's our economy going to do? That's, that's the same thing that the people were wrestling with. Every time they went to war, they, their, their children are being taken off into battle. The, I don't know what the, I don't know what, camels run on, but it's not gasoline, but whatever the fuel is, it's going up. And uh, every, everything about war in a country, it hasn't changed. Our technology's changed, but the effects are real. So verse 4, he says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of Bethlehem, they come out of the city, and they came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? You can see even in that moment that they're a little shell-shocked by how things have been going. Uh, Samuel could be coming to pronounce judgment on them. He could be coming to bring a problem that Saul's going to come and wipe it. Like, hey, are you here for good reasons? Like, what should we expect from this? And he said, verse 5, and he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So now we get the family together. They're at the sacrifice, which is the pretense that the Lord has given Samuel to, to do this. But the people, the people have to be asking, like, what, what's happening right now? There, there, are, there are people in your life that you, don't, you haven't heard from in a while. And that phone rings and it's either really good news or really bad news. And it's just like, what, what do we have right here? There, there's reason in this world that, that we would be anxious, uh, for a thing. I, I had a conversation with a friend just yesterday. Uh, he said that, uh, his wife called him at work, which usually, he said, usually she texts. Uh, and so it was a phone call. So he sees the phone and it rings, right? And, and he picks up 
And it turns out, like he didn't know it at the time, but it turns out like he picked up right in the middle of a yawn, but it sounded like a, maybe a crying, like pain, like he didn't know what it was. There was zero context available for it. And in that moment, he said that his heart rate, it just took off because, because when, when some people come, when some people call, it has, it has the ability to change an entire day, an entire moment. Samuel, a man of God, known to be an amazing leader, but too old to lead in, has been known to go against Saul, shows up in the city, and uh, they don't know what to make of it. Hey, what, what do we, we should be freak out? Should we get in the wall? No, I come, I come peaceably. We're going to sacrifice. So we get the family of Jesse together, and let's, let's meet the family. Verse 6 says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely, the Lord's anointing, uh, the Lord's anointed is before him. I, I love that. I love that Samuel, even in his age, even, even after making the mistake with Saul, still makes the same mistake of, he just looks at this brother and he's like, yeah, you look like a king to me. You just, you just look like a king. Remember, Saul, he was the most handsomest of all the handsome men. He was like on the next bachelor of Israel. Uh, and, and, and he, he was an obvious king, so surely Eliab uh, is going to be the next king. But the Lord, he says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. I, it's not, I have not chose him. It's, it's to say, if you make him king, I've already rejected him, just like I did Saul. It's, like it's, it's a pre, uh, predetermined context. For the Lord sees, not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, uh, we, we live uh, as very um, finite, uh, with very, very limited amount of knowledge uh, in, in our community and our culture. You can only know so much about a man's character, about a man's intentions. You can only know so much about what the right decision is. Uh, uh, parents, when, when it's time to choose a new school, you're, you're like, oh, I don't know which teacher to choose. You can only know so much. There's only so much data that, that's out there. Uh, uh, leaders, employers in the room, when, when someone applies to your job, you only have the resume and just a, a limited amount of knowledge about that person. Uh, you would be foolish to ignore all those things. But you would be also equally foolish to rely 100% on just the data that you have. Because why? Because you don't know the inner workings of a person. You don't, you don't know what's inside a, a person. And if our only uh, 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 barometer, if our only measuring stick is we look on the outside of a person, they have good credentials, they, they have a good reputation, uh, we, we, miss, we miss half of the equation. The Lord doesn't look on the outward man. The Lord sees the heart of a man. Of course, you can't see the heart, but you can you can pray and ask for wisdom. Um, there there have been times where uh, it, it, not here, but at a previous job, I've had like a couple of resumes, and there's this one person that is like extremely obvious. This is the one to choose. You can tell by all the school and all the knowledge, and all, and then and then like just give it a week. You don't have to make a choice right now. And within that week, like some great moral character failure uh, becomes obvious to everybody. That there's just only so much you can know about someone. The Lord doesn't look at your outer appearance. Um, see that verse? The, the Lord doesn't look at your attendance at church as a measuring stick of how good you are. Um, the Lord doesn't look on uh, how, how beautiful your spouse is. Uh, the, the Lord doesn't look at how much money you have in your bank account to make any judgments on who you are. The Lord doesn't care what your job title is, and the Lord doesn't care what uh, your you know touchdown scoring percentage was a hundred years ago in high school and how you almost won state. 
Uh, I mean, Al Bundy's flashing in my head. He always almost won state that one year. Uh, the Lord doesn't look on outward appearance. Here's what the Lord cares about is that you and I have hearts that are of good character and are pointed towards him. And so Eliab has been uh, ignored and he says, no, I don't, I don't look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab, uh, terrible names for these kids, Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Could you imagine being one of those kids? This is like some kind of Cinderella moment, right? You're getting all the stepsisters coming through. It's like, okay, let me get the big strong one. Nope. All right, sorry. See you later. And the next one, like, you know, because the middle brothers are like, I've I've been getting the short end of the stick my entire childhood. Now it's my chance. I'm going to beat my big brother. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. It's like all seven of these brothers go by, and, and the Lord has not chosen any of them to be king. And so there's this confusion, like, oh, what are we even doing here anymore? He says, uh, the, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are, are all your sons here? And he said, uh, well, there remains hey, the, the baby, uh, yet the youngest. And behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy uh, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I, I don't know why Samuel has this need to like describe all how, how handsome the kings of Israel are. But uh, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. Uh, that ruddy, I, I, had to, I don't use that word. It either means he had red hair, which is what most people think. Yeah, uh, so way to go, ruddy. Uh, or that he had like a red co- co- uh, complexion, right? So uh, he just, he, I don't know, whichever. He just, he, he had beautiful eyes. He was ruddy and he was pretty handsome. Kind of a short guy, uh, but not, not the most handsome like Saul. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So the, the, the meal is happening. Uh, get your brothers, get all the sons. Nope, 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 nope. All the sons. Do you have anybody left? The youngest. Red hair, a little short, beautiful eyes. Uh, he comes by. That's the one right there. Lord shows him. Get some oil, rubs it all over him. It's like, my job's done here. He packs up and leaves. And now you're David, his ever how many brothers, and his dad just in a room. You've got to be wondering, like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> and so they look at him. Did the brothers tease David at this moment? You know, there's a story very similar to this in the Old uh, we're in the Old Testament. In the older Old Testament, in Genesis, where Joseph gets a vision about his brothers bowing down to him, Joseph tells his brothers the dreams. One day you're going to bow down to me. And his brothers like put him up for slavery, try to murder him. It's like this whole, this whole thing. So maybe David had heard that story. He's like, I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe, maybe I don't have to brag about it. Here, here's what we know about David, though. Uh, that moment happened. God has chosen David to be the next king of Israel through the mouth of Samuel, through the ministry of Samuel. And David just goes back to life afterwards. His, his, his dad, his mom, I suppose, uh, brothers, sisters, they have to know, like, you're different. It's been declared this is going to happen, and he doesn't go and take the throne that night. Not even for years later, he doesn't take the throne. He just goes and like lives his life. You know, there, there are... Uh, more often than not, you and I live in these in-between moments that David is finding himself in right now. 
Um, there's a lot of times where there's like we're on this mountaintop uh, or this tragedy, but most of the time we're in this in-between of like, when's the next time the Lord's going to come through? I've been praying for that for a few months. When's that job going to come through? And there's all this like in-between moments. There's even moments where like you have certainty in your spirit. Maybe some of you have had that where in the middle of prayer, you just maybe someone confirms something, someone said something, you just... I feel so sure the Lord is going to do this thing. I feel so sure the Lord is going to restore my marriage. I feel so sure that my kids are going to turn back this way. I feel so sure he's going to provide for my family. And then you wake up the next morning and you're still in the in-between. How you behave and how you act, what your faithfulness is like in the in-between, is a surer measure of your heart than how you are in the mountaintops or the valleys. It's, it's the in-between faithfulness that David gets a ton of credit for, and he should. So here, here's what he does uh, in, the, in between. It says, uh, the last verse says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and from that day forward. The next verse, verse 14, says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Let me, let me talk to you real quick about spirits. Uh, I don't want to take up too much time on it. Um, uh, we live in the New Testament. We're after the cross. Uh, but before the cross, it seems to be that the Lord would, would use the spirit to empower certain people and then remove that spirit uh, when they were misbehaving or, or you know, being disobedient in some way. Uh, you see this with Samson. Samson, when he has the spirit of God on him, he's an amazingly strong man. He, he's like, he's like, a Superman, you know, Clark Kent, Superman. And then, and then he, he disobeys God. Uh, and the Lord's like, well, you know, just takes it up. And he loses his strength. He doesn't, he doesn't have the, the strength anymore. You just see uh, in the Old Testament, oftentimes that leaders, people who are meant to lead people towards God, that they have special anointings of the Holy Spirit, if that's the right word, and then, and then the Lord removes it. But zero times in the New Testament do you see that. Why? Why, why is that? Because the New Testament uh, is we are the tabernacle of God. We, your body, is a temple of the Lord. The, the cross has paid the price, and we have a right relationship with God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit abides in you. And there's nothing you can do for it to go away. We, we, live, we live in New Testament, so don't, don't like build like too much of a crazy theology. Like, oh, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. What, what about me? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, your security isn't in your obedience. Your security is in the obedience of Jesus, and he was supremely obedient. So uh, we're good. Okay. If you have questions about that, uh, I think like two people cared about that whole explanation. But if you have questions about that, we'll talk. But let's see what David does now. Verse 15, And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let her Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. You got to know that something is wrong to the point where Saul uh, is behaving in such a way that his servants are looking at him and be like, "Bro, uh, you're you're not okay anymore. Uh, let, let's go get. Let's, they don't have radios. They don't have batteries, right? So uh, how are they going to get music? Well, we have to go get a musician. Anybody in here ever get like in the fields and it's just like you just need just I need ten minutes with the radio on and I it does something to you, right? Uh, some of us, some of us, that's that way. Some of us, it's not. I know for me, like I can, I can be having a bad day. Uh, I can drive 15 minutes to my next task, and depending on what the music was, like it can, it can elevate my mood. It can change things. Um, there, Saul's servants are trying to do the same thing here. They, they see something wrong, and they say, Saul, uh, some, something's wrong. So you're, you're not quite 
you're not quite right. There's a lot of studies that have been done. We'll see uh, more about Saul's uh, unpleasantness uh, in future weeks. But like, what what is wrong with him? Like, how how bad is he? Uh, so some people uh, read uh, through the story of Saul and, and they they see some psychiatric conditions, some some uh, some what looks to be diagnosable things. And the most common of them would be uh, bipolar type one disorder that Saul would have, and it would be these moments of joy and happiness. Uh, followed with no precipitating reason, followed by just dread and anger and anxiousness. You see in Saul that he'll move from moments of just low energy. He's just like, I can't, I can't do anything. And then Saul will later, he'll have all this energy and try to hunt down David and try to hunt down the people. And he's just like marching through the wilderness with unending energy. Uh, and so it reads a lot like someone that we would describe now as having bipolar type one, uh, disorder. But his people that were closest to him, they said, you're not okay. Do you, do you have anybody in your life who's close enough to you that they could just look you in the eye and be like, you know, I know you think you're okay, but something's wrong. Can, can we help you? Now, Kings, they, they, he could have snapped his fingers like, something's wrong with you. And he snaps his fingers and they die. Like He could have them put to death for even bringing it up. And sometimes when we have people that come to us and they say, hey, you, you look more stressed than normal. You look, you look more angry than normal. Can, can we do something for you? We want to react like that. We want to react with anger and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Get, get out of here. You, you don't know. Uh, for all of Saul's flaws, <laughs> I like that it rhymes. Uh, for, for all of his flaws, uh, he, he at least listened to the wisdom of people who cared about him. Something is wrong with me. I, I, maybe I do need a musician in my life. I don't know. And so he says, yeah, go, go do that. Verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, uh, behold, I, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. How long has passed from the anointing of David to this sentence being said? It's, it's unknown, but it's a period of time so that the reputation of David has, has grown. Hey, I know of a man uh, you know, he's a man of valor. Like he, he's got some strength to him. Uh, he, he, he has good words. He's, he's wise in his words, but he plays the guitar like nobody's business. He's like, he's like the John Mayer of Israel. He's going to get to it and, and he's going to play it. You're going to love this guy, Saul, not just for his music, but he's just a good guy to have around. You want us to go get him, Saul? Saul said, yeah, that sounds awesome. Go get him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep this entire time. The, the next anointed king of Israel is just doing his job, being obedient to his dad. And he's been with the sheep the whole time. You know what I would have done? Some brother comes in and anoints me with oil and I got to wait a few years for the next thing to happen. I'm going to sit on my throne. I'm going to, I'm going to like bark orders at all the people in my house. I'm going to own this kingy thing for a while. Not David. David is a man of good reputation. He's a man of valor. He has a heart, uh, uh, that's after God. And he was just with the sheep. And it says, and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skin and wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Like, hey, take all these gifts. You're going to go visit the king. Are you kidding me? What my kid, like, your kid calls you tomorrow and be like, hey, I got invited to the White House. What are you going to do? I'll bake some brownies. I, I, like, wait, you just send stuff. You're like, I'm, I'm going to send something to the White House. So they send all this stuff to the king. And it says, and David came to Saul and entered his service. I underlined that. He entered the service of Saul. Why? 
Why not go to Saul and be like, you're out, buddy. <laughs> I've already been told I'm next. I've got a ton of witnesses. They saw it all. Why does he enter the service of Saul? He, he goes to the man who is the source of all of Israel's problems for the last ever how many years he's been kinging, and he enters his service. He could have said, hey, I'm here to replace you. He could have said, you, you're a jerk. You've, you've ruled terribly. David knows some things that he could have said, and what does he do instead? He serves his leader. Why? Well, we don't have a ton of explanation here, but I can tell you in Scripture uh, that God appoints those who are leaders. God appoints kings. God's a, God appoints authorities. We are called to pray for our leaders, not to disparage them, not to, not to be angry. Listen very carefully. Americans in this room, we are called to pray for a president whether or not you voted for him. It doesn't matter. We are called to be servants. David, he enters the service of Saul, and it says, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. I don't, I don't have time to explain that, but David becomes like a stepson to Saul. He loved him. He's like, you're, you're so kind to me. And it says, and Saul sent to uh, Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. Could you imagine you sent your kid, like he won the spelling bee and so he goes to the White House and the president of the United States says, hey, I want to make him like an ambassador or something. Uh, here, just send this letter. Mom, uh, your kid's not coming back. He's, he's going to work for me for a while. You'd be so proud, wouldn't you? Of course, you would Skype your kid every now and then be like, hey, you okay? You know, what, what country are you in? But, but you'd be so proud of your kid. Jesse gets this letter. I sent my kid to go play the guitar one time for the king, and he now works for the guy. He's living in, this is what? And of course, Jesse, David's dad's got to wonder, like, is this how it's going to happen? Like, what, is David going to assassinate the king? Like, who knows what he's thinking right now? Uh, it's, he knows that he's been anointed, but he's got to be proud. And it says in verse 23, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre, basically a guitar. It's like a, it's like a stringed instrument with a neck, uh, lyre, and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. For an unknown period of time, David is the armor bearer of the king, which is a place of authority, a place of privilege, a place of uh, proximity to power. But every time he saw the king go into a funky mood, he would do what he was called to do. He would use his gifts to minister to him, to serve him. He'd go pull out his guitar, and he'd play a song, and the king would be soothed, and he'd calm down. A few days go by, everything's going great, the kingdom is good, in good hands, and then the king goes into a funk again, and David does what he knows he can do. Is he grabs his guitar, and he serves his king. For all the mistakes that David, the future leader of Israel, saw in the current leader of Israel, he never, he never points at them. He never disparages the king. He never talks bad about him behind his back. He just serves like, like that's all he can do. And he serves his king well. Because David, though he may want to rush into the next phase, he continues to be in the in-between phase of life, the in-between phase that you and I probably are all in right now. Unless you just won the lottery or you just had a terrible phone call and you're in the middle of tragedy, mountaintop or valley, we're all in this in-between. What do we do? Well, here's what David did. David was faithful. 
in the in-between moments. David knew how to stay actively faithful during the in-betweens. He didn't stall out. He didn't wait on the next step, just like, you know, just sitting there waiting for the next thing to happen. He didn't rush to the finish line, and he didn't give up when the clock kept ticking. Over and over again, David just served his king. David just served. because He's a man of character, and he understands that things happen on God's timing, and he was satisfied with it. He was content with it. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework uh, before I close out. Uh, if you if you want to read something uh, after after today, uh, just mark in your Bible Psalm 101. Psalm 101. Uh, David is a he's a musician. He plays the guitar, uh, and Psalm 101 is a song that he wrote uh, that is basically he's describing the character of a king, describing what it takes to be a man of God who is going to be king over the people. And some scholars, I don't know how many, I don't know if it's a majority or not, but some people believe that this song that David wrote ends up being the speech that all kings were asked to recite whenever they became king of Israel. That after he wrote it about the character of a king, when they were presented by the next prophet or whomever, that you are now the king. Solomon would have read this and you know the, the king after him uh, would have read it. The Psalm 101 is David writing down the character of a king. But he's, he's a man with the character of a king looking at another man who is king, who has no character, and he served him well and faithfully. So here's the question I want to ask you. Um, right now, in what areas are you called to be actively faithful during your in-betweens? What, 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 are you, what are you called to be actively faithful? Not just believing and waiting, Believing and serving and lifting up someone next to you, lifting up your boss, praying for your president, praying for uh, the church down the road, uh, praying, just being a, a salt and light, as Jesus would say, to people who have no character, no reason to, to deserve anything good from you. And yet you show mercy and grace and you be men and women of character and you actively remain faithful during the in-betweens. Let me pray for you. Uh, My hope and prayer is that you would, this week, that you would find in your in-between a space and an opportunity to be faithful and to minister, even if you get zero credit for it. David got zero credit. Um, And you do that not because it benefits you. You do that because you're a son or a daughter of the king. You're a son or daughter of the Lord, and it represents him well. It serves him and his ministries well. Let me pray for you, and then we'll watch the cue together. Lord, uh, this morning, um, we thank you for the, the, the example of, of David as a, as a man of, of character, um, a man who, who knew how to be faithful and to, to wait patiently. Lord, help us in our weakness when, when we don't wait patiently, uh, myself uh, more than, uh, than anyone. Um, Lord, may we be known as a people who are just we're just so actively faithful to what you've called us to do um, that we that we serve and we, we minister and we, we get no credit, no, no return on investment. or We just do it because your name is worthy. Help us to be children of light as, as you are of the light. Uh, help us to be the salt and light of this world. Um, may we be actively faithful uh, when we find ourselves in the in-between. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.